You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to the First Tech Question of the Month podcast where we take a common technical question and get under the hood to explain not only the answer but why. And this month's question relates to the hoary old issue of Division 293 tax and when and why members have to pay it. My name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team and joining me to discuss this annoying and sometimes unexpected issue is Linda Bruce. G'day Linda. Hey Craig. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Good, good. Excellent, excellent. Now, Linda, Division 293. This is a common question we get, isn't it? Yeah. Especially where a client has something like a sudden spike in their income in a year and all of a sudden gets an unexpected Div 293 tax liability. And, in fact, we've been dealing with one of these inquiries just recently. So do you want to run us through what happened there? Yes, Craig. Uh, we have recently been dealing with an advisor inquiry uh, where a retired client uh, who was 65 years old uh, in financial year 2021-2022 and the client sold an investment property uh, to fund retirement, of course, and realized mm-hmm. a taxable capital gain of $300,000. And now the $300,000 forms a part of the accessible income and then, um, you know, would ordinarily be taxed at 47%, assuming no Mm -hmm. other deductions. Now, the advisor identified, uh, hang on for a second, uh, there might be strategy opportunities there. So uh, the advisor identified that the client was eligible to use the carry forward concessional contribution rules. Uh, The total super balance was good uh, and the total concessional contribution cap in the last financial year was actually $110,000 as per the ATO's record, uh, all checked up, all good. So the advisor Mm -hmm. recommended the client to make a personal contribution of $100,000 and the client successfully claimed the $100,000 contribution as a deduction in the tax return uh, and reduced the uh, taxable capital gain uh, from $300,000 to $200,000. So as a result, that $100,000 could have been taxed at 47%, but because of the advisor's strategy, that $100,000 was initially taxed at 15% um, due to the contribution tax. So that was a significant Mm -hmm. reduction, tax reduction. So everyone was happy at that stage. Okay. All right. So it sounds all good, but Based on that, you're just about to tell me there's a but in there somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, there's always a but, right, Craig? Mm-hmm. How can we avoid it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now the client has finalized the tax return. It's the time for the ATO to reconcile all the records. Now the ATO has identified that based on the tax return that the client lodged uh, and the information reported by the super fund, et cetera. Now, the client uh, was told 
that they own the ATO Division 293 tax liability of $7,500. So effectively, that 100,000 personal deductible contribution uh, was taxed at a rate of 22.5% rather than the initial 15% that everyone thought to be. Mm-hmm. So the ATO sent the assessment to the client, uh, who is now not very happy. Uh, hence, you know, the advisor gave us a call and had a chat so, about the so scenario. So, yeah, okay. So a couple of things here. Firstly, Division Two Nine Three tax. My understanding is that's a flat rate of fifteen percent. But when we're talking about seven and a half thousand dollars on a hundred thousand dollar contribution. That, according to my primary school mathematics, is not is not fifteen percent. It's seven and a half percent. So, yeah, yeah, is it? It's fifteen percent, isn't it? It is fifteen percent. You're quite right. The rate for division two nine three tax is a flat rate of fifteen percent. So, what happened there? What? Why only seven and a half percent? In this case. It has something to do with the fact that only half of the 100,000 contributions uh, that were subject to the additional 15% division 293 tax. But to understand this, we really needed to understand how income is calculated for division 293 tax purposes. And it's not just simply based on the individual's taxable income. Okay, okay. So let's come back to that. Now, the other thing I'm wondering is that the advice resulted in the client paying an effective tax rate on the $100,000 contribution of 22.5%, as I said before, but compared to 47% tax, if the amount was instead included and taxed at their, included in their assessable income and then taxed at their marginal rate. So why have we got an unhappy client? This is, this is a good outcome. You're quite right, Craig. That's such a great question. The strategy was good. Uh, it was mm-hmm. tax effective. Um, I don't think anyone has a problem with the particular strategy that was recommended to the client. However, the problem was uh, when the advisor provided the advice, um, they didn't really think of the client as a high income earner. Uh, and they didn't think of that the client uh, could it be up for the Division 293 tax. So the Division 293 tax was not taken into consideration. Uh, as a result, the advisor didn't want the client to expect this extra tax bill from the ATO in due course. Okay, so, all right, yeah, I get that now. I can imagine no one really particularly likes an unexpected letter from the ATO saying, pay more. <laughs> <laughs> so so here, a good strategy has really resulted, I suppose, in an undesirable situation, only because the advisor unfortunately didn't trig to the fact that, you know, we've got this client that doesn't look like a high-income earner, but because of their particular circumstances, Div 293 has been triggered. That that's correct. The um, it's all about managing the expectations, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at this point, I guess it'd be good to go over how Division Two Nine Three works, and specifically what income um, counts towards the Division Two Nine Three threshold, which, from memory, is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So do you want to go through that? Okay, Craig. Let's go through that. Uh, but before I do it, um, I think the 
the very important. It's really important to call, call out that it's such a complicated uh, theory uh, or the complicated rules apply, uh, and it's a little bit harder to uh, explain. Uh, Every single details on this podcast, so we would always suggest the getting hold of the first tech super guide, which is an awesome guide that gives mm-hmm. a compre- <laughs> comprehensive description with examples. So, uh, yeah, if an advisor um, uh, wants to have a look at it, download a copy of a super guide and look at the division two nine three section uh, that has more information. But for the sake mm-hmm. of our conversation, um, so at a high level, a client's income for Division 293 purposes is defined as their adjusted taxable income for Medicare levy surcharge purposes, plus their concessional contributions that they made during the financial year. Okay, so obviously, what's adjusted taxable income for Medicare levy surcharge purposes? I'm guessing that it's not the same as normal old taxable income. It's similar, but different. (laughs) Yeah, it captures a range of amounts that are not included in the client's taxable income. Uh, Well, uh, we also need to ignore certain amounts that count that that's included in the taxable income, but ignored for division 293 taxes, tax purposes. So for example, uh, they it includes or we needed to identify the client's taxable income uh, to start with, mm-hmm. and we needed to yeah. add back uh, their reportable fringe benefits. And if mm-hmm. there's any investment losses that originally reduced the taxable income to a lower level, now we have to add back those investment losses uh, that have been claimed as a deduction. Now, you also said that certain amounts that are normally included in the calculation of a member's assessable income are excluded. So what are those amounts? There's one specific lump sum uh, that advisors might be very familiar with. Uh, is the super lump sum withdrawals made by clients between a preservation age, but still under age 60. And then that could be covered by the low rate cap. I mean, the taxable component uh, of the lump sum withdrawal could be covered by this low rate cap. That cap is currently $230,000. Another cap to remember, Craig. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's always a weird and a wonderful um, uh, thing with this low-rate cap. So this amount covered by the low-rate cap still forms um, part of the client's assessable income and the taxable income. However, for Division 293 tax purposes, uh, it got it taken out, uh, meaning it's excluded uh, from the adjusted taxable income for Division 293 tax purposes. Okay, so that sounds a bit weird. These tax-free withdrawals being included in assessable income. But this is really due to the way the Tax Act works, isn't it? So in this case, amounts of taxable component are actually included in assessable income, but then a tax offset then applies to reduce the tax back to what it should be. So if we're under this low rate cap of $230,000, they apply enough tax offset to reduce the tax back to zero. Mm. So I imagine the easiest way to think about this is if if you're taking a lump sum from super that's 100% tax-free, and that could be either in this situation, the amount is below the low rate cap, 
or we're over 60, then you don't include any taxable component in the lump sum uh, from the lump sum in the adjusted taxable income. But what about if part of the payment is subject subject to tax because you've exceeded the low rate cap of 230? What happens there? Yeah, only the amount covered by the low rate cap can be taken out for this purpose. Uh, any excess amount uh, that's not covered by low rate cap uh, are indeed uh, included in the member's adjusted taxable income, uh, and uh, that's included for Division 293 tax purposes, and that needed to be taken into consideration. Uh, however, as we all know, Craig, the preservation age is just about to reach age 60. And from there onwards, we don't have to deal with this issue ever again. Mm-hmm. The client make withdrawals after the 60th birthday, meaning their preservation age. Uh, all the lump sums uh, paid from the tax fund will be tax-free, uh, at least under the current rules. Right. Okay. So... You also talked about uh, a member's concessional contributions uh, being included. So does that include all of their concessional contributions? Uh, no. Yes and no. <laughs> depends. Uh, if the client <laughs> always depends, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. If the client uh, did not have excess concessional contribution, um, then uh, yes, all included. Um, but if the client did exceed their concessional contribution cap in that financial year, um, then the excess amount, the excess uh, concessional contribution amount uh, will be tax included in the member's successful income and the tax at a marginal tax rate, but the excess amount will not be included for division to well, well, would not be double counting uh, for Division yeah. three tax purposes. Yeah, yeah. So we're either counting as a, as a concessional contribution within the cap, mm. but if it's over and above the cap, then we have to include that in the member's assessable income. So if we included those excess contributions as well, then we're double counting that excess amount. Right. So yeah. it's not like it doesn't get counted somewhere. It does. It gets picked up in, in, their, in their assessable income and taxable income. Okay, if the client's income for Div 293 purposes exceeds 250, does the extra Div 293 tax apply to all of their concessional contributions? Uh, not necessarily. If the client only exceeds the $250,000 threshold due to their concessional contributions being included, uh, then it's only the concessional contributions uh, take the overall income uh, above the $250,000 threshold would be subject uh, to the Division 23 tax. Aha, uh-huh. so this is what you were talking mm. about before. So actually, do you want to roll back to that example um, and explain to us how it worked, where we had that member selling their investment property? Sure, sure. Uh, if we can recall, we had accessible income um, came from the um, uh, selling of the investment of property and the taxable capital gain, uh, that amount being $300,000. And the clients then claim a, claimed a deduction for their personal contributions uh, of $100,000. And that deduction reduced the client's taxable income uh, from $300,000 to $200,000. Now, we then needed to add back the value of the concessional contributions within the client's concessional contribution cap. In this case, there's a whole lot, $100,000. So the overall income for Division 293 tax purposes went back 
to $300,000. However, it's only the concessional contributions take the overall income over and above the $350,000 threshold would be subject to the Division 293 tax. So the liability, Division 293 tax liability was $7,500, being the 15% of the 50,000 that exceeded the 250,000 threshold. Okay, so something just occurs to me. So before you were taking, saying that um, we we count those concessional contributions that are not in excess of their cap, but here we're talking about a $100,000 concessional contribution. So obviously in that situation, we, we all know there's a general concessional cap currently of $27,500. But because this client can use the the carry forward concessional contribution rules, their personal cap is now, I think you said it was 110, right? So in that case, we're including all of that $100,000 contribution because from their perspective, that's all within their cap. So that's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay, terrific. So that all makes sense. So the next question is, so if the client does have a liability, how do they arrange to pay it? Do they need to pay it themselves or can they arrange for their fund to pay it from their account? They do have options. That's good news. So the client can mm-hmm. either uh, elect to pay this amount out of their own pocket if they do have spare cash to pay for it or um, they they, they can have the amount of release from SUPA. Uh, it's very lovely that uh, there's a functionality available on ATO online services through MyGov uh, that the member can just go there and make an election, instruct the ATO to take that amount from SUPA. And then the ATO, once got a notification or election, they will then issue the release authority to the super fund for the amount to be released from the fund straight to the ATO. Um, so it should be relatively simple if the client does want to have the amount released from super to pay for it. Okay, so in the example you mentioned earlier, the advisor forgot to mention that Div 293 tax liability because the client was retired Mm. and otherwise was only receiving, let's say, a tax-free account-based pension and it was the one-off CGT event that really caused the issue here. So I imagine if the client was still working, was a high-income earner, then probably Div 293 tax would squarely have been on the radar um, and the warning bells would have been ringing loud and clear that Div 293 tax was was an issue here. So I guess this is a bit of a trap to watch out for. Those one-off type events that may unexpectedly expose a client to a Division 293 tax liability. So we don't just look at those people with lots and lots of salary up and over 250. We also have to worry about clients in a range of circumstances. Would, would that be right? So any time that their income is going to spike up in a particular year? Uh, absolutely correct. Absolutely. Uh, this is a problem we see a lot. And in the, it's not just in the situation where people have a CGT events, they uh, are disposing of a CGT asset like property or share portfolio. Uh, and then there are some um, other events that can trigger Division 293 okay. as well. 
Okay, obviously, can can you give us some the examples of those? Sure, sure. Uh, situations where the client's taxable income may spike in one year and trigger the Division 293 tax uh, can include uh, something like uh, where the client um, has been made a redundant half halfway through the financial year and all of a sudden received a really nice payout and the taxable component of the eligible termination payment um, will indeed be included in the taxable included, yeah, yeah, taxable yeah. income that's one scenario and um, not just um, uh, redundancy and it could it be having to resignation as well the client would also receive accrued leave long service leave or annual leave uh, that could um, uh, trigger the division 293 tax due to the increase of income. And then there's a typical scenario, uh, a, a, non-tax, a, a, a non-tax dependent of the deceased parent, as an example, uh, received a super death benefit payment um, paid directly from the super fund to, to the client. And because the client is a non-tax dependent, uh, so their income uh, will be increased by the taxable component of the super death benefit payment. Okay, and that last one's really quite common, isn't it? Very, very, very common. Uh, and it can be managed by arranging uh, for the death benefit to go through the deceased state first uh, and then get a pass to the non-tax dependent. Uh, and the tax result can be quite different uh, can be quite quite different and um, we, I imagine we don't have a time to go to go through all the pros and cons uh, with the two mm-hmm. options but I think if the advisors are interested we did a podcast back in August 2019 uh, with the title of tax on super death benefit paid to state versus beneficiary and if other advisors are interested please go ahead and grab and listen to it. Yep, still still up there on, on Apple and Spotify. So if you want to go and listen all the way back to, I think it was edition number five or six, I can't quite remember. And we're now up to 90, 90 <laughs> podcasts. Can you imagine? I really don't know how that's occurred. Um, so here, the important thing is in these kinds of situations, we need to take care entering, entering into some sort of salary sacrifice arrangement or making personal deductible contributions where we've just had our income increase by receiving a death benefit, including taxable component. Yeah, absolutely. And then those lump sums very often are taxed at a maximum value, maximum amount or maximum tax rate. We're talking mm-hmm. about around 15% or uh, for, for the death, super death benefit payment, right? Uh, plus Medicare levy. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. really important as where client is making personal deductible contribution or continue with salary sacrificing, um, it can result in a client not just getting an unexpected tax liability, liability, but also can result in them paying more tax and being worse off. Um, perhaps I can... So that, that you know, depends on their marginal tax rate. In that situation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Depends on the marginal tax rate. Um, So it's something advisor really needed to consider um, and do some number crunching. Yeah. Yeah. So now rather than us go through a whole series of numbers and confuse everyone, um, if you want to know more about that, where can people go? 
uh, yeah, the advisors uh, and our listeners um, can go to First Tech Super and Retirement Income Stream Guide, or people just commonly refer to as First Tech Super Guide. Uh, mm-hmm. So that it gives a really great summary of how the rules actually work. Okay, so I think that pretty much sums it up as far as we can go into, you know, in a podcast. So for, for those advisors out there, yeah, remember Division 293 tax um, and also just be aware where there's a spike in the income in one year. You can have a client that doesn't look like they would normally have to pay Division 293 tax all of a sudden having to take that into account, which can then throw, flow through and affect the, the gross amount of tax having to be paid where we're doing things like salary sacrificing or making uh, personal deductible contributions. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Craig. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Advantius Investments Limited accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.